Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I do pray that we would all give our lives to you. Now, I know that's a very Sunday school cliche, Christianese talk. But I pray what I want for my life and for these people whom I get the privilege of pastoring is to see that giving our lives to you, joining with you in new life, it is an adventure. It is a, it is a romance, how much you love us. And it is good. There's good you have for us. And there are so many things competing for our affections. Uh, things that uh, we think that, that we need, that we, we've got to have. Um, that can be from stimulants. That can be from narcotics. That can be from certain relationships or being in certain circles or our kids being on certain teams. I mean, it's, it's just all out there and it's, it's constant. And we have an opposition that uses that to not just pinpoint, but just slam into our, our pride and our, um, our self-worth or, or lack thereof. And I just pray that uh, we would really see that uh, your Holy Spirit would move because no words of mine, no words of any human being uh, move upon an individual's heart. It's, it's only you, Jesus, and your grace. And so I just pray that we see how much grace has been given to us, that we would extend grace to others, and we would receive it from you, and we would walk boldly but with a, a serenity as well um, to love and to live and, and see life as an adventure that, that never ends in Jesus Christ in you, Lord. It's in your name I pray this. Amen. Hey, thank you all. Y'all can have a seat. Thankful to our worship team for leading us, as always, for ministering and prepping our our souls and spirits. If you have your Bible, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, there should be some in the back that you could, could pick up, you could take, you could have with you. So we are actually doing, we're actually continuing a series that we were going through in Lent. Uh, It's called Eight Blessings for Seven Sins. And each Sunday through Lent, and now today, we skipped Easter, we've highlighted one of what we have called historically a seven deadly sins. So we have done pride, envy, wrath, greed, lust, one more I'm forgetting, But we have one more to go. You might take a guess at which one that is. Gluttony. Wow. I got a better memory than me. Gluttony is today. Next week, we're going to start a short series as as we move into summer. And it's simply going to be called Rest. Um, How many of us need a little rest? You want to say amen? Amen? Okay. We will tie that into the idea of Sabbath. We'll also tie it into the idea of uh, sabbatical. Uh, which I will be, uh, and you all hear more about that in the weeks to come, which I will be uh, doing over the summer. But before all that, let's hit on gluttony. Now, gluttony, I know f- for me, I always think of gluttony as, as frankly, overweight, okay? Or, or just eating too much. And I think a lot of us can think about that as well. I've heard it said, I've seen it written, you know, why do you Christians... Uh, pick on certain specific sins when so many of your pastors are overweight, okay? 
And I don't know if that's like directed to anybody in particular. Uh, there's some truth in it, okay? But I always think of gluttony like just, you know, eating too much. And often we can think, if you look at the seven deadly sins, which are historic, by the way, throughout church history, you can kind of think of gluttony as like the least damaging or, or least deadly. It's just, you know, prone to eat or consume a little bit more. However, gluttony really is, is something that we all participate in and something that can be, can be very, very damaging. Gluttony is, I mean, simply put, it's this desire in us to want more. It's never enough. Whatever that is, whatever it is, we, we want more of something. Or, we may not want more, but we want something the, the right way. Okay? So there's gluttony of excess, which is more, but there's also a gluttony of what I might call delicacy. I want the right thing, whatever that is. Is So, you can think of gluttony as, well, the, the partier, the constant partier, or the regular partier, or the frequent partier, uh, or the loafer, uh, or the prodigal son, uh, the younger brother, uh, whom I love and who many of us have been. Uh, but you can think of it, you know, in the, in the girl or guy. Uh, who lives for, you know, a, a constant spring break of just eat, drink, and hook up, okay? Or it can be the, the high roller who's had success in some type of business, but who really lives for high society. Uh, it can be the person, and I, I know I've lived in this way, in their uh, mid to late 20s or, or 30s even, who works hard and grinds it out, but really lives... Uh, for weekends where they just blow it out. They've been there. Uh, it can be the uh, adults who still, you know, really are, are trying to live like 24, 25 year olds and take all of our cues from the Hangover trilogy. You know what I'm talking about? Have I seen it? Okay. But it's, it's wanting more, uh, it's wanting a constant consumption, thinking that that constant consumption, whatever it may be, uh, is going to, to fill us, stimulate us, jack us up, get us higher, whether that's natural or not natural high. Okay. And let me say this before I get into it, because uh, we'll be talking a lot of uh, gluttonous activities today, which uh, should be fun, no pun intended there, okay? But uh, uh, this is my sin, okay? So let me just go ahead and say this. And when I say it's my sin, if I looked across the seven deadly sins, and I didn't always think about this until really the last year through some coaching uh, and some mentoring, but the one that appeals, uh, tempts me the most, you know, I might used to say it was, uh, it was maybe lust, but I'd say lust is probably wrapped up in the gluttony now. Maybe it was envy, but envy is wrapped up in the gluttony. Maybe it's greed, but greed's wrapped up for me in the gluttony now. So uh, this is like my my sin, which is one of the reasons I kind of saved it for, for last. And the way I know this is because contentment can be so hard for me, and I'm always wanting more of something. It's, it's never enough. It's just never enough. And, and you can, you know, if I look back in my life, I mean, it can be so many things, and there's definitely a pattern there. 
You know, I mean, there's the easy ones, you know, the slam dunk ones from, you know, drink to dip to the lust to um, you know, wanting rewards from work. Um, but also now, like, uh, books, it's never enough books, never enough movies, never enough Amazon Prime, never enough Netflix. I mean, I, the list goes on. I mean, it's just never enough. And needing a constant stimulation which it's good to tie this into rest because the Lord calls us to, to rest. So this is my, my deal, okay? Now, I think also, as I highlighted just there at the beginning, we, we think of gluttony often in excess, wanting more, but it can also be, and some of you will then say, I don't have a problem with that. This is not my, my deal. Well, there's also this, this gluttony of, of, of delicacy. And I, I steal that word from uh, C.S. Lewis, who wrote about this gluttony in a, uh, in a great little book uh, called The Screwtape Letters. Anybody read The Screwtape Letters? A few folks have. Uh, Screwtape Letters, it, it's so real, but it's so imaginative, as I guess only C.S. Lewis can be, because it's basically an, an older, elder demon who is mentoring a younger demon in how to attack and subvert Christians. Uh, and so he goes through all these tactics uh, that I think are so spot on. I mean, it's not, you know, the gospel, it's not the Bible, but about how uh, the demonic in, in very subtle ways uh, attacks us, which does happen, okay? So let me just read a passage in the screw tape letters. And the older demon is. Uh, is called Screwtape, Uncle Screwtape, and the younger guy is Wormwood. And I recommend the book. I don't know where he came up with those names. Listen to him. I'm going to read it slowly. One of the great achievements, this is a demon talking here, so you kind of have to, no pun intended, put yourself in demonic mindset, okay? One of the great achievements of the last hundred years has been to deaden the human conscience on the subject of gluttony. So that by now, you will hardly find a sermon preached on it or any conscience troubled by it. This has been largely affected by concentrating all our efforts, the demons, on gluttony of delicacy, not gluttony of excess. Uh, your patient, this is the Christian that the demon's working on, your patient and I love this. As I learned from the dossier, just thinking that, you know, demons have dossiers on us. Yeah, you know. And you might have learned previously is a good example. She would be astonished, one day I hope will be, to learn that her entire life is enslaved to this gluttony that she does not see. It's a kind of sensuality which is concealed from her by the fact that the quantities involved are small. But what do quantities matter, provided we can use a human belly and palate to produce quarrelness, impatience, uncharitableness, and self-concern? Now, I don't know if you picked up on that or not, but let me make it plain make it clear. 
What C.S. Lewis is talking about there, what he's trying to highlight for us, is those of us, let me include myself in that, that are, and again, making it plain here, it's kind of like the coffee snobs. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, Starbucks is just not good enough, okay? Uh, the beer snobs, okay? I don't get drunk, but, you know, got to have my, my right type beer. Uh, the wine snobs, same thing. Okay. The foodies? Let me just point across the street. Oh, but wait, that's corporate. I forgot. So, you know, let's, let's local foodies. The art snobs, the music snobs, the movie snobs, the art snobs, book snobs. You know what I'm saying? And so we don't ever overindulge, but we got to have the right, oh, the clothes snobs, you know. I mean, the right type, you know, that's trendy or whatever it is. That can, as that passage referred to, you know, what do quantities matter? And we can press in to invoke quarrelness, impatience, and self-concern. That convicted me. Now, and let me say this before I get folks angry at me, which may have already happened there. But I, th- I see it, nothing wrong with enjoying God's creation and cultivating uh, a healthy, uh, ethical appetite for the good things of God's creation. But, as we're going to see, Scripture commands us, not just calls us, commands us not to be ruled by anything created, only to be ruled by the Creator. And that when we uh, engage in, in, in healthy activities, in eating well or drinking well or um, consuming wonderful uh, art, giving glory to God, our Creator. But often... I know I can. You know, we can be, we can be ruled by it, ruled by it, and not ruled by our Creator. So let me, let me add that there. Now, on each of the seven deadly sins, we take a beatitude and contrast the sin to the beatitude. So today is Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Just look at this real quick. should be up on screen. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now you might ask, what does this have to do with gluttony? Whether it's overindulging or wanting the right thing. Well, I would try to title a sermon, and I'm not big on titles, but I would say I'd call it from gluttony to righteousness. And righteousness is a word that a lot of us pre-younger brothers don't always like because it just sounds so churchy. But righteousness in the Bible translated is really right living, a right way to live. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus is not just our Savior, our Creator, and He made everything. So it's, righteousness is, a, is really a healthy way the right way of, of looking at the world and living in it. So here, verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And maybe, you know, I look at it as maybe you're persecuted. I know I've been persecuted in this way, and y'all have too, uh, for not overindulging 
uh, and saying, hey, that's enough. I have a limit. You know, I've drawn the line here. And them snickering or sneering, like, well, you're too good. Or, you know, now you're all Christianese and everything. I mean, we have people in this church body who have received those words uh, from others after they've run with them for a while and trying to just have some healthy limits. So that's very real. Or you could be persecuted maybe just for like giving grace and saying, you know, I don't have to have the right thing or the right type all the time. And, you know, it's, you know, maybe I'm just not that cool or not that artistic or not that trendy. And maybe you be persecuted in that way too. But uh, we all as Christians will face, if you don't already, persecution. Uh, brothers and sisters in other places of the world face it physically. Uh, we, uh, right now, are facing it more uh, emotionally, psychologically. Uh, but nobody likes it. But here it says, blessed are you when others revile, persecute you. Um, rejoice and be glad. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for living the right way in Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, and it is, a, it is a life, I will say this, if you remember nothing else, it is a life of moderation. It's bottom line. We know that nothing created will ever, ever fill us. And if I have to preach it to you, nothing created will ever, ever fill you. No created person, no created thing will ever, 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 I stress that enough, will ever fill you, okay? I'm preaching myself. Only the Lord will. Only the Lord will. All right, so let's go to 1 Corinthians 6. I'm going to read a passage, verse 9 through 20. And then we will talk about it a little bit, and then we'll close it up, okay? 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 20. There's a lot of gluttony here, uh, and we won't have time to get into all of it, but we will get into some. Start with verse 6. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. A little context here. Uh, The church of Corinth could be called very gluttonous. 
They liked a lot of excess. Uh, they liked the good life. They liked good things. They liked to party. They liked to have fun. They liked to have a lot of sex with a lot of people, just to be clear, okay? And then uh, Paul comes, but more so Jesus comes. The Holy Spirit comes. A church is started uh, in Corinth in uh, really kind of an, an epitome of uh, a younger brother uh, city. Uh, no religious background, no what we think is churchy background, so un Bible Beltish culture, context. And what happened was, was, was these Christians, these church folks, you know, they received with joy the message of grace, saved by grace, nothing we do. You know, looking back on an old life of, um, of, of partying or whatever, but saved by grace and made new in Jesus. Uh, and yet, they begin to act in ways of saying, well, I'm not saved by the law or anything that I do, so I can just keep on living knowing that Jesus loves me and has saved me so we can keep going on how we've been going. Uh, Lord's Supper, hey, real wine, let's get wasted at the Lord's Supper. That was happening going down in Corinth. Um, very, very liberal attitudes towards sexuality. Hey, my... Uh, In-law looks nice. I'm going to hit on her. That was going down in Corinth, okay? And so here was Paul just trying to work it out. Okay. So he's saying here that, yes, you're saved by grace. But some things matter. And, you know, context may not be your thing. I mean, I don't need to know about Corinth. I, I mean, I love history. So another way to articulate it would be, I remember in college... And, and I would go so this and I would go to RUF, okay, because that's where the cutest girls went, okay? That was my, my reasoning, my rationale. I mean, no, like, interested in spiritual growth or whatever. I mean, I was going to, you know, going to try to pick up chicks. Excuse me. I mean, that's, that's where I was. And I'd get, to, I befriended some folks, and they would be like, well, you know, I'm saved, or even more. Some, you know, would have some astute theological language. I'm predestined. I mean, so I can do as many keg stands as, as I want. And I'd say, well, I'm going to beat you at that keg stand. I mean, I would really say that um, and do my best to do so. Anyway, but that, I mean, that, that was their MO. That was their philosophy, mentality. I'm saved. I can act how I want. Very Corinthian, I guess. So let's break this down. Let's just break the passage down. Verse 9 and 10. Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So, first off, he's saying, you know, look, guys, you're all, all of you are acting in this way. And I think then he's saying, like, man, God, because the next verse, we're going to I want to highlight that. But the next verse is saying, man, God loves you. He loves you so much. And he does not base that love on, you know, what you do or what you've done or, or how you're acting. I mean, he, he loves you. He loves you so much. But you can't continue living in this way. And I actually think that verse 11, he says, and such were some of you. Well, if I look at verse 9 and 10, I would say that's, I would say that's all of us, Okay. 
Now, maybe it's a different uh, sin or a different action that the sin is expressed. But the reason I say it's all of us is that we all have our idols. We all have that, that, whatever that is, that we think that will fill us up. And, you know, you could look at the greedy. And maybe here, let me put it in a very Bible Belt context, maybe, maybe you're greedy for Christian standing, okay, and Christian position. And you have to act so much. I mean, honestly, Galatians, I think, is a better uh, letter for the church where we are than Corinthians. But maybe you're greedy for, you know, looking like Mr. or Miss, perfect Christian. And, you know, you're so active in so many Christian things. Uh, But it can be all of us here. Um, We have our idols. And and idols that are not, uh, that will not help or, or fill us up or, Never, ever, ever. And I think part of our problem now, part of their problem then, is that we, we, don't, we don't really know verse 11. And verse 11 is a powerful, uh, beautiful verse. I mean, I could just say it and stop right there, but it's not, it's not me, it's the Holy Spirit. And, and we have to, to get this. And the only, only the Holy Spirit can make the penny drop, so to say. Listen to this. Such were some of you. Such was I. Such am I, okay? Let's be real. But you have been washed. You're washed. You're, you're washed. You're made clean. You're made new. Uh, so many of us carry guilt from the past. So many of y'all feel dirty. Let's just make it plain. Feel dirty. Jesus Christ washes you. You are sanctified. Sanctified meaning you're, you're growing. I do believe all of you are growing. All of you are here. All of you are hungry for growth. That's the, the work of the Lord. You're being sanctified right now. That's good. You were justified. Justified basically means you're, in Jesus Christ, you are made right with God. You can stand in the presence of your creator. You can stand in the presence of all created things. You can, you can be in his presence. You're made right with God because of Jesus. So nothing you do makes you right with God. Only Jesus has made you right with God. And then he washes you, and then he, he grows you. We, you know, we try to base on our activity to stop the things we do in verse 9 and 10. The gospel is just no verse 11 here, and that changes your heart, where you desire God, you desire a right life, righteousness, the right way. In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Powerful verse. Now let's look at verse 12. And I love this verse too. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. That last part of that verse, I've kind of taken that on my, uh, my own life. So share a little personal devotion with you. So I go back to that verse. I'm not going to be dominated by anything. And I've been dom- I am dominated by things. Okay? Not going to be dominated by anything. But Paul makes it clear, like all things are lawful because nothing that you do is going to save you and nothing that you do is going to take away your salvation. You're not going to lose your salvation, okay? However, not all things are helpful. Let me be clear, let me be plain. Let's, uh, let's take tobacco. Let me focus on smoking, okay? Smoking. I've always said this. You know, just because you smoke, and I don't know if we have any smokers here. I mean, you know, we may have some closet smokers here. Just because you smoke does not mean you're going to go to hell. 
but if you do smoke, you may get to heaven sooner, okay? And that's just it. That's, that's all it is. And I'm going to send you to hell, but you may walk through the pearly gates sooner rather than later. That's it, okay? Really, same with any tobacco use, okay? So, preaching to myself there. Drinking, okay? Uh, my wife has uh, really encouraged me. It's like, you always need to be clear about drinking because, um, you know, I mean, I'm out and about and I've had more than my share of social drinks and everything. So what does the Bible say about drinking? Okay? All things are lawful, not all things are helpful. Well, the Bible, I think, specifically says three things about drinking. One, it says over and over again, don't get drunk. It says it, don't get drunk. And say it again. All right, let's repeat that. Just make sure you heard me, okay? You know, and, and look, guilty as charged. I don't want anybody thinking, you know, I'm very sensitive because I've been preached to before, and I used to, could not stand that brother up there, could not stand him. Anyway, so it says don't get drunk. It also says don't break the law. So, you know, wrapping that up is like, man, I don't want to, I tell kids I teach, man, do not get behind the wheel of a car. I do not get in a car uh, with someone who can't drive. DUIs and wreck your life, you know. Don't break the law. Then the third, and this is really important, I don't want to be sensitive, as I'm saying now, because of this. And so, in my preaching, I mean, it's a, you know, utterly depraved sinner standing before you has been saved only by the grace of God. But who has changed? Who has changed? And who tries his best, by God's grace, to live by the word of God. But it says, don't be a stumbling block. And Paul actually, Paul is ministering to a lot of people in different contexts who you know, live a certain way, so he does not want to be a stumbling block. He wants to be a witness. So to be clear, those are things, you know, all things are lawful, not all things are helpful. Uh, then he goes into, he kind of shifts here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap it up here in just a second, but he, he shifts and he emphasizes the body, the human body. And all sins, we're all sinners, the, the base of the cross the foot of the cross is equal, okay? Is equal. And, and all sins, you know, so we don't rank sins. But he does differentiate, I think he differentiates, I would say this, the result of some sins over the other. And here's what happens. Because he, he focuses here on sins of the body, specifically sexual immorality. And even though all sins are equal, he begins focusing on the result of engaging in certain sins. So, verse, let me see, talks about sexual immorality, verse uh, 13, but then verse 15, he makes it even more plain. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. Let me highlight that. I mean, he's saying, he's going back to Genesis not in a healthy way like he does in Ephesians 5 with marriage, in an unhealthy way, talking that sex is a great gift, maybe the greatest gift that God gives us. And he's saying it's more than an act of, and I'm not going to get too literal, it's more than an act of reproduction, it's more than an act of, of pleasure. There's this act where you are becoming joined, you're becoming one with this person. And so he's talking about there's a difference in a result here than some other sins. 
And uh, a great uh, preacher or pastor, wrote, actually he and his wife wrote a book on this called Soul Ties, a guy named Matt Chandler, uh, whom I like a lot, and hitting on this very note, that you're forging soul ties uh, when, you, when you engage in this. And, you know, I'm, uh, there's a senior party night, and I was asked to write some things that, uh, to this particular senior that I wish I'd have known at 18. And it's a long list, or it could be a long list, okay? But one of the things I wrote, I don't know if I'm going to say this the right way, I'm just going to say it. One of the things I wish I'd have known at 18, and I know we've got some youth here, I mean, I can tell you all this, I mean, wish I'd have known that being intimate with someone else, I'd say intimate physically, emotionally, you know, using all the, frankly, just, you know, the, the stuff some of us guys can throw out and manipulate emotions, okay? Should have known that being intimate carries over into future relationships, okay? Soul ties are formed. And I think that's what Paul is hitting on here. So he says, 18, flee from sexual immorality. And again, he differentiates in result. Every other sin a person commits outside of the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And some translators here, I think this is good, this very verse says, is within their own body. That's where the, the talk of soul ties. So it's not just, we think of it as like, oh, this is outside, it's inside too. And then a classic verse, my grandmother, she'll probably listen to this. Grandmother, thank you for saying this so many times to me. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Okay. Whom you have from God. So I'm going to want to stress that. If you're washed, sanctified, justified by the Lord Jesus and by his spirit, our bodies are now temples of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who was there, Genesis 1-1, the Spirit hovered over the waters, is in you, is joined is a temple, is a house of the Spirit. That's a, that's a beautiful thing. That's a miraculous thing. That's a God-given thing. Something that we can't purchase, but someone else has. And that's why he says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. That's what Chris said up here at the, uh, uh, before one of the songs. And I, and I love how he said it, because I said, you know, I don't get that. You know, he's paid, paid it all, paid the price. It was a costly price. Someone had to die. I mean, the weight of all sin throughout all human history, past, present, future, for us to have this grace, for us to be in the presence of God uh, immediately, you know, you're saved in a moment. You know, it's not a, it doesn't have to be a process, although I think sometimes I always say, you know, you're either saved in the sledgehammer way, which is the stories we love here, or the irrigation way. We're all hard soil. How do you get things to grow in it? You either sledgehammer, pickaxe it down, or you... Slowly irrigated. I was more the irrigation. But you're paid for by Jesus Christ. You know that. You know how much God loves you. you those, those heart uh, soul ties, and maybe it's a soul tie with alcohol. Maybe it's a soul tie with tobacco. Maybe it's a soul tie with porn. Maybe it's a soul. And by the way, I do think you're like the excuse of, hey, I'm, I'm not really physically engaging. You're engaging in your soul. You know, you're engaging with your soul and the imagination. Ties are forming. You're bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And I think that there's this differentiation with the body here because Easter season, Easter, going back to verse 14, love this, and God raised the Lord, 
Jesus, and He will raise us up in our bodies too. There's not just a spiritual resurrection. We believe, Apostles' Creed, the resurrection of the dead. Our bodies too will be made new. Do not worry, all of us, all of us, you know, getting fit. We will one day have our perfect body uh, that will never, ever uh, decay or go gray sooner rather than later or whatever it is that you want, you will have your perfect body. Let me close, let me wrap it up like this. All of us have a challenge, the challenge of gluttony. The devil is deceiving us. We don't look at it as a big deal. Challenge of gluttony is... I need that. I need more of that. What is that for you? I need more of that. This could be multiple things. The antidote, the only antidote, is not to, man, I'm going to white knuckle it, I'm going to quit this, I'm going to stop this. The antidote is knowing the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Churchy word, the righteousness, I am the way, the truth, the life. Let me focus on one verse up on screen. It says, a couple verses. 1 Corinthians 3, 21 through 23. Let no one boast in men. Look at this. He's talking to Christians. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, that's Peter, or the world or life or death, the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ's is God. If you are in Christ, all things are yours. He's the creator. The creator by the Holy Spirit abides in you, lives in you. All things are yours. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be in constant striving to get filled up in whatever way. All things are yours. Like, What does that mean, all things are yours? All things, peace, love, joy, and the Lord gives blessings. Blessings of place, blessings of people, blessings of provision. May not be as much as you want, but you know what? The Lord knows best. The Lord knows best. I trust in that. That's the antidote. The result, and we'll pick up here next week, is rest. Real rest. A spiritual rest. A soulful rest. A rest that knowing nothing else is going to fill me up, but I have all things in Jesus Christ. I can rest. I can stop striving. I can stop consuming constantly. I can stop seeking stimulants. Because you have it all in Jesus Christ. He's paid it all. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, let us know that truth. In that truth, our cravings will diminish and cease. And we'll crave you, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.